0: Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. Friendos, it's coming home. It's coming home.
1: It's coming.
0: Football's coming home. That was my uh, dramatic reading of Skinner Battles and the Lightning Seeds Three Lions. I still can't believe they did it. England went and did it. They won. They defeated Germany 2-1 in the Euros final. It was The most unbelievable match in what's been an unbelievable tournament and we now get to talk all about just what an incredible game of football this was on top of just being an incredible moment in the history of women's football if we're being completely honest. But before we crack into all of the chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Once again, you have me, Marissa Laudanik, Sam Lewis, and live from the hallway of a hostel, Angela Christian Wilkes once more. She's come to us from some interesting locales, but she will be home soon enough. So let's begin today's episode with some quick you love to see it's because even though we're only talking about one game, there was so much to love and so much to see. So Sam, kick us off. What did you love to see?
1: So there are going to be so many things that so many different people remember about this game. There's going to be the goals, there's going to be the celebrations, there's going to be the feelings, there's going to be the the noise, the atmosphere. But the thing that I'm going to remember most, I think, from this game is the pass from Kira Walsh to set up Ella Toon for the opening goal. It was It, it was one of those passes that make you realize just how good of a player she is and also how important players like her are in football. She's She won player of the match. I think she was one of the best players at the whole tournament, but she was the kind of player who is just a quiet workhorse. You don't really notice her until she does something like that. And it was so good. It was so perfect. I almost fell out of bed. It, it was just the most sublime pass that I have maybe seen over the course of the euros, it was just stunning. Um, and and the finish as well was was deserving of that kind of a pass. It was incisive. It was it was it was technical. It, like the whole passage of play was just incredible. and it also I think spoke to the, the kind of England that we saw in this game, which was an England that almost willed themselves. To the victory. They they had this just belief in what they were capable of doing. And that pass really encapsulated that for me. So Kira Walsh putting it on a play for Ella Toon, you love to see it.
0: Angela, what did you love to see?
2: I love to see. I was goal end for both England goals. So that was great. I would love to actually just on um, Kira Walsh, she was my player of the tournament. Um personally, I I don't know. It's the I I love a midfielder. Um, and when she was announced as player of the match, I don't know, there was footage on the far post, um, Instagram of me absolutely losing my mind and it's not good listening material, but it was, you know, it, it, it can't be helped, you know, when you're in the, when you're in the moment, um, I love to see Chloe Kelly's celebration as did, I think the entire planet. Um, there were the obvious comparisons of her whipping off the shirt and waving around waving it around to the 1999 um, World Cup celebration of Brandy Chastain. Um, and Brandy did actually you know give her a shout out but the celebration actually reminded me of which is quite funny um, is we had a player at our club last year she's actually retired from football now 62 um, incredible she was a player coach she scored on Mother's Day at Princess Park the Melbourne Uni Soccer Club. Her name's Jill. She's incredible. And she did the same celebration and also got yellow carded for that celebration. And it was just, that was what it reminded me of because it was just such an incredible, I don't know, and it's just nice that there's, like, kind of that connection between these, these two brilliant women. So I really love that. Um, yeah, and I loved, I think... I always talk a big talk, but I don't walk a big walk in terms of talking about tattoos. Like, I've been talking about the 2019 World Cup and getting a tattoo for that, and a very in terms of what I wanted to get there. But for this, I think a fine line tattoo of Chloe Kelly. Not a fine line. I don't fucking know what the different tattoo types are. A simple. What the, what do you call it, Sam? You're the yadded up one. Actually, <laughs> you both are yadded up.
1: A single line, a single line, like, outline tattoo of Chloe Kelly whipping her shirt around her head would be unbelievable. I'd get that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I don't think you can, That is what I want. You can't compare Sam and I in terms of yachting. My yacht and her yats. Very different. Uh, <laughs> very different. Well,
2: it's all, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, like, 0% yat, yeah, you know, and I've been saying that I want to be not that for a long time. Also, sorry, Mum. Sorry, Mum. I know you have feelings about tattoos, but um, I'm closer to death. No, I'm not. But I just need to stop talking. You know, when I was just trying to figure. I, I, <laughs> like, I I'm closer to death than my childhood, oh. and it's like, that's not true. Hopefully. Although at the rate I've been going on this trip, I was saying this to Ruth actually yesterday. I was like, you know why I think there's more people with ADHD now being diagnosed and that we're aware of is probably because smartphones are saving lives. Like if I didn't have a smartphone, I'd probably not be alive right now. Anyway, that's just an aside. You love to-
0: Chloe Kelly's celebration, you love to see it. Chloe Kelly, we love to see this is what the people listen to this podcast for this is what the people listen for um I'm glad you mentioned Chloe Kelly because a couple of my you love to see it's the Huns getting it done Ella Toon obviously the finish I know Sam you just talked about the past but the finish was just as good I tweeted that you know a number 20 Chipping the keeper at Wembley. I've seen this film before and I fucking loved the ending. It was fantastic. But the thing that made me laugh in the post game, Ella Toon was asked about it. And I don't know how they got onto this topic of questioning or whatever. But basically, Ella Toon said to the media post game something along the lines of My eyelash extensions fell out. I've got them done and they fell out. So I've done this without my eyelash extens- extensions and I'm absolutely gutted that I don't have my extensions because I feel a little bit naked without them. So the Huns getting it done, even without their extensions, you love to see it. It made me laugh so much. It was so good. And just to make sure that I don't forget to mention this, I have to mention it now, Jill Scott. Not only is Jill Scott one of the best stories in this Lionesses squad, she was one of the only, I think she's the only player that was part of the 2009 Lioness's squad which lost to Germany at a Euros final so she's really that important kind of conduit between the past and the present blah, blah 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 so it's a fantastic story that she was part of this squad she was on the pitch when they won you see her and Chloe Kelly looking at the ref waiting for the okay to kind of go bananas with the celebration but the thing that I will always remember is her getting fouled by some German player and her stepping up and she's a very tall woman, so just, but very lanky. So just the imposing sort of like bean pole rising from the ground after being fouled and yelling, fuck you, you fucking prick. And you can hear, you can see every single syllable enunciated in this vision. And I simply love her for it. I simply love her for it. I think it's one of the best, funniest things I've ever seen. And it was a real, up yours to a few of the people who have kind of crawled out of the woodwork recently saying mm, the women's game it's so clean it's so pure it's so wholesome blah, blah 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 it's like no they play football and if you get fouled you tell the other one to fuck off <laughs> like that's there, there's no gender within that if you get pissed off you get pissed off so Jill Scott you absolute queen i'm so glad that you got to enjoy this moment and you will live on in meme history forever i'm thinking you know like, KK and Lisa Devanna and the water bottle, like, you will live on in Woso Meme history forever. Well done. You love to say it. <laughs> I was about
2: to say, you know, how people were talking about kids emulating the Alessia Russo goal? Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's... Mm-hmm. Up- Gonna happen. And just the way my brain works, I think it's really funny. And I feel like I'm gonna say it in a, I tweeted about this. I'm really worried. I'm just gonna like say it as a joke to someone in a workplace where, and then realize, be like, you don't follow women. You have no idea what I just referenced. You think I'm the prick. So there you go. Also, I changed my answer because after seeing that, I was asking people in Carrot's Corner who they would like to defend them in a fight and obviously Jill Scott is the answer she would she would she would rescue you she would save you she would yeet someone into the sun so I love that that it was a fantastic moment I obviously didn't get to see it but seeing everything afterwards was like a little after dinner mint it's all been an after dinner mint actually watching all this stuff online it's been fantastic
0: And after dinner, Mint, that's sensational. Obviously, the reason you didn't see it is because you were at the game and we will get all of your thoughts, feelings and vibes about the actual atmosphere being one of the 87,192 people in the stadium. But we'll start first off with the actual match chat because I think above all else, it was a bloody good game of football. I didn't feel that way when it was going to extra time at 4am because my COVID brain was like, I wanted to sleep. This evening, um, but I guess I'll take more football instead. Sure, why not? Um, but God, it was it was such a good game. It was so physical. It was a bit crash and bash, bit niggly, um, but it was so entertaining. So Sam,
1: initial thoughts, vibes, feelings on this actual match. Well, the drama for me started before the opening whistle when news filtered through that Alex Pop. The German veteran, the German superstar, the German strike force, who had basically single-handedly <laughs> carried Germany to this final, wasn't in the starting lineup. That she had pulled up in the warm-up and she had done something to her leg and she was injured. That was that was a really big moment, I think, for a lot of people, because you in, in the same way that I think Spain losing Pateas on the eve of the tournament was like a pivot point for them because Germany just didn't really look the same in that first half without Pop there, even though you saw them trying to play the same way, you can sort of imagine the, like the the, the hypothetical Pop who would have been on the end of some of those crosses on some of those through balls and the, and the power and the influence that she would have had with this team. She's a really galvanizing player. She's a player who brings everyone around her into it. And That was what it sort of felt like Germany had lost for particularly sort of the opening maybe 20, 25 minutes before they kind of started to adjust to her absence and figure out other ways of doing things. Um, But like overall, we were talking about this pre-pod, this game felt like it was worthy of this final. It felt like it was the two best teams of this tournament coming at each other in a kind of unstoppable force, immovable object kind of moment. I didn't feel this way when England played Spain. I didn't feel this way when England played Sweden. Those games felt quite one-sided for different reasons. But this game felt like the most finely balanced. It felt like the game where both of those teams were able to answer the questions that each other were asking and they were able to cancel each other out in a lot of ways and that's maybe why it was so crash and bash, why it just it ended up just being a, a, a sort of a war zone of different battles across the field and different players constantly colliding and niggling with each other because any little bit that you can get, any any tiny advantage that you can somehow squeeze out of a moment contributes to the momentum you eventually start to build. And it's no surprise to me in that context that, the opening goal was scored in the way that it was where it was just long vomit basically around six or seven players and Ella Toon breaks through the line and is able to chip the goalkeeper with a single touch. You know, it was, it was so direct because everything else had been so indirect. Everything else had been so, um, so chess-like it had been so tactical. It had been so, yeah, like that it had been so sticky, you know, but That There just had to be a moment like that of clarity, of just complete, no, this is just how it's going to happen now and it happened. So it was almost like a relief and a release, I think, when that goal went in. And Angela, I'd be really curious to know what it felt like in the stadium in that opening goal as well, particularly after the first, like, hours' worth of play where it almost felt like neither side had the advantage for a lot of it and then all of a sudden you've got this moment and it forces things to necessarily change? Like how how did it feel when you were there?
2: It it was a, a a relief. I mean, and then it then it was a not relief. What's the opposite of that? It was unrelief. I don't know what the opposite of unrelieving is. Can you unrelieve something? Anyway, obviously because Germany equalized after that. But that first goal was the root like I, if, I can't, they were so good. I don't don't really know how to explain it because it's like, you could obviously have seen that on the TV, but people lost their minds. And I think up until that point, I just noticed it was interesting. You can be in a stadium full of people and it can still be quiet. And my brain's like, how does that work? I don't understand because you still get those ebbs and flows. And before that, a lot of people had obviously, you know, started to bite their nails or just like start you know thinking over things in their head a little bit and had gone a little bit it gone tense and so that goal was immense and yes I thought I had recorded the celebration but I think it's actually a blessing that I had not because I was screaming a lot in a way again like I said not not worth listening to but it was yeah it was absolutely fantastic I don't does that answer your question it doesn't really tell you that much because obviously it was fantastic but yeah um it, uh, that's why it's it's so like I love watching football live because you do get to like just be in that moment and and live those emotions and have other people around you with it as well I mean that's why we all love watching football live right you get to share that moment with so many people 87,100 and something as Marissa remembered correctly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was a good time. And um, so I went to the match with my friend, Yuli, who I went to primary school with. There's a video with him up on the socials. He noted, and I did not pick up on this, that the tune goal happened. So Beth Mead had just come off. And so England were actually at a disadvantage in terms of their setup and the amount of players that they had on the field. And it was almost as if Germany had a little snooze they like thought that they would be on the upper hand there and they probably got a little bit too comfortable and it was yeah that in just sharp ball from Kira Walsh and the I can the the quality from Tune to be able to finish that chip and to be able to do it in that moment I don't understand the confidence of these younger players in this squad they're so incredible to and to have done that in a huge game I don't What's it like to live inside your mind, Ella Toon? What's it like to be that? I don't. Share it around, please. Amazing. Anyway, so, yeah, that was an interesting thing as well. Because Germany, I feel like so much of their players is a a mental, it's the mental side of it because they do slow things down. They do like to basically assert their dominance. They're not a nervy team. And so that was like kind of a crack in that kind of approach a little bit in terms of getting a little bit too comfortable, which you don't usually see because they do play quite conservatively as well. So
0: anyway. is it just backtracking slightly? Collective joy and collective grief. That's why we watch football because we do it together. Football friends. Oh, how cute. Um, But, yeah, as you said, Ella Toon was on the park as she has been for basically this entire tournament. She has been... She and Russo have been the go-to move for Serena Weigman, basically. She has been, and I think I've said this in a previous pod, very steadfast with who starts, what happens. These are these are her cards and this is the hand that she is playing. And then if those cards don't work, she brings on Toon and she brings on Russo. So we saw that that obviously worked to great effect. Sam, do you have some thoughts and feelings on those two? And I suppose the youngsters for England and just how valuable they've been to this team and to this title
1: yeah yeah they've been unbelievable they've been th- this has been absolutely the breakout tournament for a number of young players not just in England but I think across a number of different nations and we might talk about Lena Oberdorf a little bit later for Germany um this was absolutely the the tournament for Elinton and for Alessio Russo those two Manchester United kids and they aren't kids i think both of them are younger than 23 they, 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 they seem to embody a kind of football that is so much more modern and so much more exciting and so much more free than I think what so many people associate with English women's football because it, it in terms of its style it, it doesn't really seem to have been about the flair about the tricks about the confidence of chipping a goalkeeper in a in a, a euros final it hasn't been about doing a back heel that not makes a goalkeeper in a semi it hasn't been about that sort of stuff that character but these players now i feel coming through and uh, including you know Lauren Hemp Chloe Kelly Georgia Stanway these young players they're redefining what English football looks like in the women's game. And that is so thrilling because the style of football that they play is absolutely gripping. It is some of the most exciting football that we saw across the Euros. And it's the kind of football that I think more nations need to be aspiring to. I'd like in terms of how they have come through this system and managed to maintain their their individuality and their own character and their own Sort of personalities when it comes to how they express themselves through football that is so motivational and it's so inspiring. I was, I literally, like, after the game finished, I went and took my football out to a local field and just kicked and just like did stuff, like just me at, in a paddock, and, you know, just kicking the ball around, playing a crossbar challenge because I was just like me. Like, I'm an old fart, but I was so inspired by these kids and what they did and just the whole moment that I had to go out and play. I had to go out and express myself with the ball, you know? So, yeah, it was, it was fabulous. And I think another really important and very under-discussed aspect of England's success over the course of this tournament is how well they have maintained the welfare and the, and the physical health of their players because Weidman hasn't changed her starting 11 for the whole tournament, which is I think she's the only coach who has not rotated in that way. I think every other team is, has had one or two changes here or there for some reason. But she's stuck with her with her team, with her starting 11. And that's a real credit to people behind the scenes to be able to make sure that they are not fatigued, to be able to make sure that they can deal with little niggles. Because as we saw with Alex Pop. If you're not, you know, maintaining the health of your players, sometimes something like that can happen all of a sudden out of nowhere. So that's a that's a real credit to their team. And it's, I think, another reflection of the the just the quality of the, the depth of their bench, the fact that they can bring these players on and trust them and rely on them to be able to deliver results. And that's what happened. Ella Toon scored the opener and then Chloe Kelly, another substitute, scored the winner. You know, these are young players who Weidman has entrusted with carrying this the mantle of this team and they have absolutely embraced it and they have created i think a whole generation of fans not just young fans but older older people watching these kids play football and have just been completely overwhelmed and starstruck by what they're able to do so yeah it was just i'm so i'm so impressed with with what what they've done they're just incredible
2: In saying that, and we were chatting about this pre-pod though, I think it's the fact that Vagrant has been able to do that does speak to the kind of luck that you can't pin down when it does come to a moment like this. Because I would have been, and that was actually the, the fact that she was, it's a very valid point, the fact that she was starting the same team game after game. A lot of people did have doubts about. Um, whether England could, like, surely, well, surely these players are going to get tired. Surely they're going to get a bit sleepy. Um, and they didn't. Um, so that is a credit, yeah, to the to the staff and to the players themselves. But also what would, just as Pop getting injured completely changed the complexion of this game, um, or at least we can only assume that it did. we Maybe there's an alternative universe where Germany have won and Pop scored six goals with their head or something. The, Vag, like what would have happened if Bugman had to change her starting 11? Would it? Cause Kelly and Russo and Toon to me, like, I don't know. They, they're super, we talk about super subs, but they truly are in the sense that their contribution and their value for the team is no less just because they're getting less minutes because they have such important jobs to do and they get those jobs done. Um but yeah, at the same time, like I was saying about luck, like that's real. It's lucky. I don't know. It's there has to be an element of the universe looking out for this English team. And I I was saying I'd like that. England needed this. They really. I think the universe was like, okay, you've had Brexit, you've had a shocking pandemic, you've had train strikes. You can have
0: a little treat, I guess. You can have the Euros. You can have the Euros as a little treat. But no, I'm really glad you mentioned the luck, because I literally just wrote it down as well. You know, like England had, I think it was two COVID cases throughout the tournament. And it was Hannah Hampton, who I I don't know if she's second or third choice, third choice goalkeeper, and Lotta Wabin Moy, who I don't think was anywhere near kind of starting 11 conversations. You contrast that with Germany, who Leah Schuller came down with her, obviously was back for the final, but I think was also back for the final because Pop was injured. Clara Bull as well was absolutely phenomenal during the early stages of the tournament, and I can't remember if she got injured or had COVID or whatever, but it's just like these (laughs) – To bring up luck sounds like you're trying to like dismiss or discredit the hard work that England actually did, but it's not. It's just one element of the entire package. So I think it is absolutely worth talking about and worth mentioning because it does play a role because England did work hard, but they also were like, like the two things can be true at the same time. And there were some really interesting kind of points and thoughts about, luck and what kind of role this plays friend of the pod Sophie Lawson was talking about it over on her Twitter and just how there's there's no shame in writing your luck your luck is not something that we kind of can capture and pin down so if it's with you fucking hold on to it while you've got it and be sad once it's gone but while you have it absolutely fucking use it sorry I keep swearing I've gone very bogan in this um in the old COVID brain I've gone full bogan but like that luck is important and you might as well accept it and be like yeah we were a bit lucky and it worked out for us so be it and even just as we've mentioned repeatedly now the pop injury like it's one of those things that just in that alternate universe maybe she doesn't pick up the injury we still don't know how the final goes but it definitely pans out differently with Alex Pop in it and England have to kind of I suppose you know that was the hand that they were dealt no Alex Pop and it worked out really really well for them
1: basically. Yeah and like the phrase you often hear hear in sport is that you create your own luck right no one wants to sort of admit the role that just pure chaotic chance can have in certain situations and I don't even think it was just the final. I think England were lucky throughout this tournament. There are a number of moments there where you can imagine had some, had one little moment gone differently, they would have just spun off in a completely different trajectory, totally alternate universe, you know? And it's almost maybe the reason why their win feels so destined. Why, you know, why it feels like it's more than just a great team winning a tournament. It feels different from Canada winning the Olympics or Sweden getting to the final. It It feels like more than that. It feels like so much for so long has been pushing against them, including themselves, that they have been struggling to shake off their own history, similar to the men's team, that they have been having to carry the weight of this nation for such a long time and in various moments throughout this tournament, even though, yes, they were overwhelmingly good in most of the games that they played. But if you go back and look at those games, the game against Austria, for example, the game against Spain, you know, there were moments in there where it really did come down to things that were out of their control most of the time, you know, and, it, it and that's just sort of, yeah, it falls into the the idea of the role of the intangibles when it comes to, football. you can control what you can control as athletes always like to say. But sometimes in some moments there's stuff that you you can't control and if it falls your way, you have to do as much as you can to capitalize on that. And I think that's what England was so good at. They were able to capitalize on luck and capitalize on, moments that fell in their favor when they they got the rub of the green when the ball spun in their direction and not another you know they were able to really pounce upon those moments and yeah and then like now they're here you know and and it feels like it's it feels like the as Angela said it feels like the universe wanted them to have this it feels like you know that the whole nation the whole game the whole history of this was pointed in their direction, feels like they were sort of, they had that in their sales over the course of the whole thing. And that's what is so validating and so comforting almost about them winning it, you know, because everyone sort of wanted them to and they did. And, yeah, I don't really know how to talk about it properly. I don't know how to talk about intangibles like this, but, like, it's a very, it's a really emotional moment. It's a really emotionally driven tournament I think compared to other kinds of of tournaments particularly from an England perspective so yeah it's that's
2: that's it I guess going back to the thing about like Beth Mead got injured in this game I think we need to acknowledge that but that's a huge that's not lucky yeah that's that's shithouse right but the fact that they yeah they're able to capitalize on that that moment I think speaks to that other side of things that is the the tangibles the things that you can control the things that you can um use to to shape shape the odds in your favor um what was I going to say also I was just thinking I was like so was he who must not be named lucky to get the England job and then I was like no Angela that's just privilege you're thinking of privilege that wasn't luck (laughs) anyway
0: and Serena Varguan, she is not lucky. She is just simply brilliant, I think. Anyway. I was gonna say, the two people or the two important people that you mentioned there, Beth Mead, player of the tournament, golden boot, she won the golden boot because she and Pop both finished the tournament with six goals because she had five assists, which no one else had either. She was the top assister for this tournament. So Beth Mead. Next level, ridiculous, Arsenal, terrifying for the upcoming WSL season. And I'm actually really excited now about the thought of like maybe the golden boot race isn't Sam Kerr versus Viv. It might be Sam Kerr versus Beth. And I'm very keen to watch that play out. And Serena Weigman, back-to-back Euros, two different nations, has not lost a game in a Euros tournament. Absolute footballing genius and you can see like it was one of those real you know that England really chased after her they wanted her to lead this team and this was exactly why she was chased after and why she is so highly regarded in women's football circles the third person you mentioned there he who must not be named I simply cannot stop thinking about some of the tweets and the memes but my favorite above all else was this one from Zito, who said.
2: I think I know what one you're referring to.
0: You you absolutely do, because it's, it's genuinely an all-time tweet. It is genuinely an all-time tweet. Zito tweeted, imagine if Phil Neville was alive to see this. <laughs> and I just, like, you should say it. Sir, you're right, and you should say it. And as he, just as, you know, someone was like, Zito, basically you can't say that. And he was like, he's the one who said it was a stepping stone for him to get to 11th place in the MLS. Speak your shit, my guy. You're right, and you should say it,
1: basically. (laughs) (laughs) Hey! hey, hey. Yeah, it's fucking absolutely, that slaps. What a (laughs)
0: I just and then there was the domino meme as well. It was David Beckham buys into Miami England win the Euros and that was the joke. <laughs> oh it's so, it you know what even if you don't like England I feel like that as a concept to just Philip Neville being proven wrong. Which, why did I use his full name? I don't know, but there you go. So much more than the same thing. So so <laughs> in trouble, yes. <laughs> Philip <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> don't make oh, me oh, laugh. So be careful. <laughs> I'm dying. Don't make me laugh. Um because of who uh, we are as also, people. Yeah, go. Sorry. I uh, sorry, I just
2: I would be intrigued because you guys were a lot more online than me for this because it's no signal <laughs> in the stadium, really. Also just generally um, who we dad- are as
0: people. Yes,
2: that's true, that's true. Um, My dad has been wondering if, so he, it's a very dad thing, right, Um, to talk about 1966. I mean, I think it's actually if if your dad was like a kid when it happened, it's just, it's a big, anyway. He was wondering if there's been much discussion around that because I didn't realise that England have not won anything, men or women have not won anything major since 1966 and I did not realize that that was the case right and now I'm kind of like well if that is the case why was Monday not a national holiday because that is massive yes massive yeah um so apologies to my file; I did not have the full context I did not have the full stats of by which I mean no stats for England in all of that time that like yeah so and the fact that it was England Germany as well the fact that you know it was at Wembley there's Bobby Moore outside um, standing tall and proud you know it, it is it is quite poetic. Part of me was like it would be beautiful to see to not have it reflected in sort of the the achievements of men right and men's football and this this big moment that was. For this previous big moment. But at the same time, I think the response um, and the way it happened, it's so, it's, it's, it is its own story, you know, it can be both. It can be hark back to that and also speak to, you know, you know, maybe that was the the moment of our parents' generation and this is the moment of our generation and our kids' generation, you know. So that's all I just wanted to say because I'll get in trouble if I don't acknowledge that tattoos and not acknowledging 1966.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that though because I think it would be remiss of who we are as people to not talk about the historical context of something like this even just for the fact that you know 1966 the last time England won something women were banned from playing football in England. Like it it's insane what's been achieved and what's been done and we've you know spoken a little bit about the stories of the individual lionesses and how much they've all had to overcome to be here and stuff like that Sam I know you love this shit so I can only assume you have some thoughts on the the wider historical and cultural moment that is this final.
1: Yeah I wrote my analysis about the Euros trying to put it into this larger context talking about how This moment, even though it feels brand new, even though it feels like this is a new chapter, it's actually part of a much longer story. It's a story that stretches back almost exactly 100 years. And in my piece for ABC, I start by talking about the famous Dick Kerr Ladies team, the team that attracted 53,000 people to a match at Goodison Park in Liverpool in 1920. They were... An incredible team. They were one of the first women's teams ever to travel internationally, to tour internationally. They attracted tens of thousands wherever they went. They raised money for themselves and for charity. They had this whole blossoming fan base that they were building as they were growing. And the Football Association and the political establishment at the time, all of them white men, decided that it was unsuitable for ladies that football was unsuitable for ladies and so in 1921 they banned women from playing on association pitches all across the UK which effectively banned them from playing football altogether it relegated them to public parks and backyards but no pitches were available that didn't stop them though and this is what I think is, is the, the most precious and most powerful thing about women's football. It's that it is a game that has been built on foundations of resilience and determination to survive regardless of the circumstances. And so even though this ban lasted 50 years, not just in England but around the world, including Australia, women continued to play They continued to find opportunities they continued to find each other they continued to build this thing so by the end by 1970 when there was the first sort of pilot women's championship world championship that was held in Italy and then the following year in Mexico you started to see what happened and and all the stuff that was missed over this 50 years. You saw fans flocking back to stadiums. You saw international tournaments. You saw club teams. You saw women out there in kits, in boots, scoring goals, running around on a field. And 1971 was when the ban was lifted in the UK and then slowly around the rest of the world. And so that's when we started to see national teams being formed, when we started to see competitions being organised And now you get to here to 2022, 100 years almost from that first ban, and it's almost like we're back where we started. It's almost like this is a mirror image of what women's football was like back in the early 20th century, except back then the decision was made to cut it off at the knees. And what's different now is that everyone wants it to flourish. And that's what I think is so, so exciting about not just England winning, but this moment for the game. It's that we have gotten to the point where you can't turn back. You can't stop it. It, There is this just planetary momentum behind what's happening and this Euros forms part of this larger story, this larger wave of determination and fight and spirit and love and joy that women have been investing in this game for over a century. And thinking about it gives me tingles because we're going to be hosting this next year. We're going to be part of this story next year. We're already part of it but we're all, we're going to add an even bigger, even louder, even more fabulous chapter to this larger story. So what a great time it is to be involved. What a what a memorable moment for people who were there. What what a privilege to be a fan of this thing that we're starting to see finally given the attention and the love and the platform that it's always deserved.
0: Do you want to follow up from that? Because I don't. (laughs) My brain is stupid and it was just
2: like women's football has made it because the scalpers and scammers are thriving. Um, (laughs) genuinely though right like it's true also embarrassing story guys I right. had a scammer ghost me what? how does that happen they just she just stopped reply I don't know if it was a bot I don't know if she was a sh- you know what I mean like it, but the account just stopped replying to me Anyway, so that was probably a good thing. (laughs) Actually, there's actually been, there should be like a meme post by someone about some of the like scammer tickets that have gone out because they're so funny. Anyway, um, what was I also going to say? I think the more serious point I think is, and a lot of people have spoken to this, is like now we can't be snoozing. You know, because there's still th- these moments. Sophie Lawson again said the tournament football. I can't remember the exact tweet. But it was like tournament football is feel good, right? It, it's a huge moment. You can't not be swept up in. You know, eighty one thousand people at Wembley at Leah Williamson like sobbing her eyes out at all of these like smaller things at the you know and yesterday Monday, uh, all of the dailies had the lionesses on the front. There were special editions for particular newspapers. There were pull-out booklets. There were, you know, posters included in some of the papers. I bought them all because why not? Um, But at the same time, as I was leafing through these newspapers, it was interesting to see, okay, it was the, the, the main event. It would be pretty incredible if it wasn't you'd be asking questions about those editors and those newspapers but at the same time when you look in the the back pages you look at the pull out football booklets for some of these obviously premier league and championship they're starting back up here men's football's you know coming back from school holidays whatever they have at the same time they're like how are newspapers and press and media going to make sure that women's football is included all the time and is included in and the mundane is included the really boring stuff that somehow always gets covered in men's football because that's a big thing I guess in in discussing coverage but it's not just about coverage as well this that kind of points to the bigger issue like these conversations whether it's in print or whether it's happening behind the scenes at organizations or in schools or wherever it might be they need to be happening all the time and so even though this isn't i wouldn't say a splash in it's not a splash in the pan but it there needs to be work done to make sure that it can it, it's milked basically and that the most is taken out of it there's so much that needs to be done to sustain this momentum and it's you can't just ride on vibes like it needs to be like tangible commitments and KPIs from stakeholders in terms of what they're going to do to capitalise on this. I don't think some, and listeners, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think this tournament has a legacy framework like 2023 does. Um, And so it is a matter of, like, moving forward, make like what has to be done right now. Like what is, what are people planning? What are they brewing up? To make sure that this this stays the same, and it's the same as, um, I guess people are talking about the FAWSL. Like this is a key key moment to be pr- promoting the shit out of the FAWSL and the fantastic competition that England has right here. Um, so yeah, it is. It sometimes it is hard to s- sort of take a step back and be like, and just keep a watchful eye over how things unfold. Um, cause yeah, there's still so many, not, I don't want to say issues, but things that need to be better. Um, and we, I'm sure most people know what I'm talking about. Things like professional standards, pay, um,
1: well, even, pathways
2: for everyone in the game. Yeah. Um, like one of the most shocking the thing.
1: things to emerge from this was the re- realization from people outside of England that there are lots of girls who can't play football in school, you know, like it's not an option for them as in PE class and like just basic things like that. Absolutely. Angela, I completely agree with you. Like you need to be able to catch the people, the women and girls largely who are going to want to participate at, in various levels and in various ways, whether it's as players or as referees or administrators or coaches or anything, you need to have the structures in place in order to catch them. And I think that's what Football Australia and the and Football New Zealand and the World Cup team are doing really well. They're creating this net in order to capture what they anticipate is going to be this massive surge in interest and participation and registration and investment all that sort of stuff so they're setting up the they're setting up the cup for all the stuff to pour into whereas it doesn't feel like england necessarily had that in place in the same way maybe they didn't have the sort of foresight and isn't that just a demonstration of sort of the history of the women's game where largely the people responsible for the game didn't anticipate how much people would love it and they weren't really, same as 2019 Women's World Cup, it sort of took everyone by surprise. They're like, oh, turns out people love this stuff. Maybe we should have, you know, catered to them a little bit better. So, yes, but I do, I do feel like because England is England and because it has because football is its sport, football is its culture, its heartbeat. It's already got so much that they give to the men and the boys that really it just requires a redistribution of wealth and a redistribution of resources in order to make sure that women and girls don't fall through the cracks. So, yeah, I'd be really curious to see what is going to happen over the next months and years as a result of this tournament. And it's really good to see actually that even in the wake of the final, even in the last, just the last 48 hours, there have been lots of opinion pieces, lots of high profile people coming out, like Ian Wright, for example, coming out and saying, if we don't let girls everywhere play football in schools, what was the point of this tournament? You know, talking about it and connecting it to legacy and talking about tournament football in a larger context of growing the game and providing opportunities so it's good to know that more and more people are being given megaphones to sprout that message and to have conversations in powerful places with powerful people who actually have decision-making authority in these kinds of ways so yeah it's going to be really it's an important um, distinction I think between what this Euros is and what 2023 is going to be because I feel like we're better prepared for this wave than what England have been.
0: I do think legacy framework though is so interesting because it really does range from let the girls play football in school to you know one of the first things Leah Williamson said in her like in her post match interviews was get your asses to the WSL. Like the fact that she's just won a Euros, she's only the second ever English captain to lift a major trophy and one of her first thoughts was please make sure you come watch us when we do our other like major job you know so there's things like that and then people were rightly pointing out that you know England you know some of the wages of these players is still absolutely not good enough and then even really basic things like I saw men trying to find lionesses kits and they couldn't because for some reason kit manufacturers don't think men want to buy women's jerseys And it's like, what do you, how, part of me is like, how did no one learn from the spew kit? Because everyone wanted that. That became a a real nightmare down here because everyone wanted it. So it just, it boggles my mind that there's so many factors and so many things. And some of them are, I suppose, more important than others if you want to, you know, rank them or whatever. But you guys are right in the sense that the tournament doesn't, fix them, but the tournament sure as shit acts as a catalyst to get them fixed. So I think it's been just an incredible month of football. Angela, it looks like you have had the absolute best time, but we cannot wait for you to come home so we can be silly in the the football stadiums of Australia once again. I know you're sad about it, but we miss you. So, like, get over it and come home. Sorry.
2: Also, I need to... (laughs) Correct the record. There is a legacy framework, um, but what's intriguing about it is it's a target for, like, it's very focused on host cities. So right. um, I don't want to be a negative Nancy, uh, So and I'll have a proper look at this, but it is interesting that the, the places that have bought into women's football are going to be the ones that are getting the support. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, and Alex Scott very rightly called out um, clubs who did not want to host these games a couple of years ago because women's football wasn't cool back then and it is that kind of so it's it's great that these places that have bought in will be getting further support but at the same time it is like a national thing right um and not and as we were talking about the ban as well England. Maybe not to the extent that it used to, but England has a lot of clout when it comes to football. So this will definitely have a run-on effect, even when you're just considering this is a European-based um, tournament um, and it's run by UEFA, not FIFA. You know what I mean? So um, just wanted to put that on the record so people aren't like, yeah, I see right. yes, I can use Google. Sometimes I just choose not to. Uh, what was I going to say? I am coming home. Yeah um
1: coming,
0: coming, coming, She's coming home. She's coming. is coming home. home. Coming <laughs> home. Yes! <laughs> oh. We'd weld in motion you, but we can't. I'm not talented enough to weld in motion you. Um, what is that? Weld in motion? Have I is- fucked up the name of the song? No. No, the song's called Weld in Motion. New Water, oh, they did it. A- I didn't know that. I- yeah, I didn't know
2: that. I thought it was It's coming. This is like I heard um, that song, "Free from Desire. Freed Free from the, Desire. Oh, God. Like in, in a club the other night. And I was like,
0: yeah. no, no. I, I know it's Beth Mead, but in my brain, it will always be Will Griggs. Sorry. I'm sorry. It just is. It just is. Anyway, I think that's enough from us. This has been... A very fun month of pods, if I do say so myself. Thank you always for tuning in. We will be having some chats about the under-20s because we have another tournament to look forward to, the under-20s Women's World Cup. Our young Tillies will be over in Costa Rica doing us proud. So we'll have some chats. All of those games will be on SBS, so very exciting that we can actually watch them. So can't wait to crack into some chats about that. But... Until next time, Angela, we'll see you soon. Everyone else, we'll see us. I forgot to do the spiel, it doesn't matter. Go to ESPN.com.au. Read the stuff on oh, ESPN. Right. Listen and subscribe to us. See us. It's
2: early in my part of the world, so I'm happy to say that you can use that as an excuse. <laughs> <It's
0: early laughs> I'm, I'm using so COVID brain right. as my personal excuse for everything. Yeah. Audible.
1: At the and Angela, yeah, the other reason that we want you home is because we don't want you to be getting up at six o'clock in the morning in order to I mean, yeah. record episodes anymore. We want you to have a good sleep. We care about you. Oh,
2: thank you. Thank you. It's, <laughs> uh, I'd rather get up at 6am and then come back to Australia. But anyway, I'm going to be a sulky little madam for about oh. a month. I think oh, no. anyway, it'll be fun. Well, it like bus. No. Oh, I can stop the recording here. (laughs) Just having a gas bag at this point.